Welcome to allthingsnew.tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things, but as Christians, we also believe that God is redeeming this world through His effort, making all things new. This podcast features conversations with entrepreneurs, technologists, and innovators, examining how technology transforms our understanding of God, His creation, and what it means to be human. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New is talking with Mo Fong, Director of Operational Excellence at Google. They'll be talking about varying levels of access to technology for different demographics and diversity. We hope you enjoy the conversation. All right. Well, my name is Paul Taylor uh, for allthingsnew.tech, and I'm a pastor here in the Bay Area, background in technology, and love working in an area where people are excited about what technology can do for the world and thinking creatively. Uh, I'm sitting here with Mo Fong, a friend of mine who is the director for technical solutions for Google. She's worked in lots of different fields within Google. She's a mom of two boys, Gabriel, who's almost 10, and Zeke who's almost eight. Um, and Mo has worked in lots of different areas from access to technology for underrepresented communities to data integrity for search and uh, various fields related to allowing Google services to be more accessible for more people around the world. So I'm excited to talk with her about what that has implications for our Christian faith and how that informs her work. So Mo... Why don't you tell us a little bit just about what you're working on right now and why you're excited about it? Absolutely. So as you mentioned previously, I was looking at access to technology for underrepresented groups and specifically working on education, which is my background, helping students um, understand that they can be creators of the technology and not just consumers of the technology. And this is especially true for underrepresented groups because we don't have enough people working in tech who are women, blacks, Hispanics, and we need their perspectives if we're going to create products that work for everyone. Um, But I changed jobs recently. So in January, I started in this new team. It's called um, Google Technical Solutions. And Essentially, my remit has actually expanded because we had a reorg in early um, part of the year. But initially, my focus area was getting the Google Assistant technologies into uh, more devices. So you can think about LG TVs, mm-hmm. um, Sony speakers, those kind of um, devices. And what Google Assistant is, is it's if you want to make a counterpart um, analogy, it's like Google, uh, Amazon Alexa. So essentially, I can ask Google to give me any information, voice activated, um, and also I can start making Google do stuff for me like, Mm. hey, Google, buy me a Starbucks coffee, right? And it'll just know me so well that it knows exactly what I like to drink and where I can go pick it up. Uh, For right now, it's still in very nascent stages, Um, but it's exciting because it's not only about devices that could be used in education now, but also healthcare. So if you can imagine like you're in a hospital bed and you couldn't move, but you could talk, right? Right, Like how can you get these devices to like turn on the TV voice activator or call my nurse or I don't feel well and it would just know what to do. Um, And that's really exciting for me because it's about quality of life, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, And then the other piece um, that I work on too is around search. So if you can imagine the Google Assistant is actually built on the back, uh, search is the backbone of Google Assistant. 
right? So if I ask it for information, for example, a lot of times people wake up and if you have a Google Home device at um, in your house, you can say like, what's the weather today? Right. And the information that it's going to tell you is actually based on Google search results okay. or um, what we call knowledge panels. And um, you can ask it things like, hey, you know, how old is your fill in the blank celebrity? And it would pull from search. So search now is part of my remit too. Huh. So any of the data that comes in, we need to make sure that it's good quality, has good accuracy, and in a format that can be used by our search engine. So all the different partners that we have are long super verticals, what we call them, um, like sports, news. Um, we're doing stuff with elections right now around the world, and this is global. Right. It's all super, super important. Um, I was just talking to my dad about it this weekend. And he's like, what do you do now? And it's right. like, well, do you ever search for information? He's like, of course. And, you know, and so it's like, that's what I'm in charge of now. I, I tell the team that we're the guardians of the data, um, which I believe is absolutely true. Wow. Well, there's a lot of threads to talk about. Um, I want to get back to the data at some point. But let me begin by talking about the work you did uh, giving access to technology with underrepresented communities. Um, there... I've talked with other people in that field who are really passionate about, especially as the world changes, increasing access, whether it's underrepresented minorities within the U.S. or around the world, because as more and more jobs require technology, access to education around technology becomes a gating factor for whether you're qualified in our world. Um, what what are some of the challenges that you guys were trying to overcome? Like What made it hard for people to access technology from some of these underrepresented communities. Absolutely. Um, if I was going to boil it down, I would summarize some of the research that we did. So mm -hmm. all the research is available on our site too. So we boiled them down to four main areas. So most of the decisions around, you know, should I be a creator or a computer scientist, um, was actually made during high school years. Okay, interesting. Right? And so people are very impressionable when they're younger. Um, so one of the biggest issues is around perceptions, right? Do I see myself as a creator mm. of this technology? Um, do I see people on screen that are creators of technology? That look like me. Or that look like me. Come from my background. Absolutely. Right. Or how are people who I see on a day-to-day -day basis interacting with it, Right. Are they behind the screen actually creating it or are they just using it? Um, so we started working with Hollywood. Right. Um, trying to change storylines, you know, and we worked with um, TV shows like Silicon Valley, right? Or um, I think we had one with the TV show Empire, uh -huh. right? And they had this storyline about a ghost um writer or a ghost musician and we're like why don't you have a ghost coder oh, you know and yeah. so like little things like that that we can subtly subtly influence right um and and we kind of took a page out of like the designated driver campaigns uh -huh. I, there was a lot of drunk driving in like the 70s and 80s and then so we they did a campaign so a harvard professor started working with the biggest tv shows to insert this phrase, you have a designated driver. So it came into Seinfeld. Huh. And then all of a sudden, people are like, oh, I'm going to drink, but I don't need to drive. And so the death right. rate went way down. Huh. So I, we know that perceptions is really important. Um, the second part is access to technology. So you, you hear about digital divide, who mm -hmm. actually has the devices in schools in particular. But it's not just about having the device. Um, 
because there's this terminology called device rich but curriculum poor. Okay, interesting. Which basically means like you could literally use your computer for typing class. But that's not really helping kids understand the power of computers to create any sorts of things like games or apps or all those other wonderful um, kind of projects you can do. So um, we need to both have the device, but then also the right curriculum. Right. Um, And then the other piece is about like self-efficacy, right? Mm. That people have the confidence to know, like you can see all the perceptions of like, oh yeah, this should be something that women can do, blacks, Hispanics, anyone can actually create, but can I do that? And so how do you create the confidence and the interest within um, folks to want to participate, right? Right. Actively participate. So those are the top big three things. Um, So I think uh, we did a lot around that, and I can go into more detail if you're interested. Well, so this is interesting because a lot of the, um, a lot of what we've been exploring in terms of the the intersection of theology with technology is how technology changes our understanding of what it means to be human, and around that there are some themes of dignity and self identity, and technology changing that, and it it strikes me that all three of those things. St- have to do with our humanity, right? What What is my identity as a person? And so how, from, from, a, from a Christian perspective then, where we, we believe in a God who has provided everything we need and who has given us an identity and a calling, how, reflect a bit on those three things in terms of human dignity, self-worth. I mean, what what's the overlap there? I think to me, like... Um like God wants us to have meaning mm. and he wants us to create. Yeah. Right? He created us in his image too, right? And so the way I think about it is that technology is a tool for us to use. And so like with all tools, right, there was like a intention by God and how it should be used. Right. And then it could be very easily perversed and used unethically. Sure. Too. And so I think we have to really understand like and ground ourselves in like, how do we use this so that it can glorify God right. versus being used so that it tears down people, et cetera. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I like to think of analogies too. It's like, I'm sure these types of discussions came up also like the invention of the pencil. Like if you look at back in history, like people right. thought it was like going to be like the dearth of humanity because now people can just express any thought they want. And you know, what are the people going to say? And it's going to um, really destroy like, you know, people were used to like, Right. Um, like chalk and you know, yeah, and um, slates, right? Uh-huh. Back then, so and then the same kind of conversation came up with TVs. Oh, this is going to be the dearth of neighborhoods because right. people are just going to be glued to TVs instead of playing outdoors, right? Right. So, but with anything, it could be used in a very productive way. Uh-huh. Um, I just attended this talk at Stanford um, for a professor who was studying like how kids learn. Mm. Um, and that they really do need to have, um, like, the ability to have a voice in what they create. Right. Right? And I asked, like, what's the role of technology then? Because, you know, technology could be used as, like, just a test-taking tool. Right. Right? Um, and they're mindlessly consuming now, like, everything that people are putting out. Or are they actually going to create the games themselves? Right. Right. So how much screen time do parents give each other? So back to your question about like 
you know, what does this mean in a Christian context? Like if it can be used as a tool for the activities that would be glorifying to God. Yeah. I think there's huge benefit and power in that. Right. We just have to check ourselves that we're not misusing it. Well, and it seems like you're, you're really concerned about people being able to use technology as creators rather than only be consumers of technology. Because everywhere, everybody's consuming technology. There's probably no, Absolutely. you know, there's no problems with access to consumption of technology. But who's got the, what you talk about, the perception, the access, and the confidence to not just see technology as something that you submit to as a consumer, yes. but something that now this is a tool in my hands that I can use. And that, that seems to like, that gives me dignity. That gives me something that puts me above the technology because now I'm not just sitting in front of it, but I'm controlling it and I'm using it to express something about myself. So it does seem that you're wanting to bestow dignity on, on people by teaching them technology is, is a tool, not just a entertainment device. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we talk a little bit about uh, the digital detox and the digital addictions that yeah. people are starting to have. And so, you know, to this point about having the dignity um, mm. that it's not controlling you, right? but that you actually are using it to further your own purpose and your meaning, right? I think is super important. I mean, I think there's a lot of discussions right now about you know, people just spending too much time and neglecting other obligations. Right. Right. And I, I find myself doing this too. So I'm not above, of you course. know, yeah, yeah. Right. using things like when I'm super tired at night, I just want to, you know, zone out. You right. know, it's super easy for me to like do online shopping or, you know, I spend way too much time on news apps. You know, I'm kind uh -huh. of a news junkie. So, and yeah. one news story will lead to another news story. Right. So, you know, I think it can be a nice way to distract yourself, but it's like with anything else, too much of one thing can really lead down, you know, very negative paths, right? right. So it's kind of like when we talk about um, even food, right? Sure. It's like people can be addicted to food and then it becomes an idol or whatever um, way you want to describe it. So like how do we make sure that technology has its place? Right? Yeah, and you, yeah. you brought up the Christian language of, of idolatry where we, we have this notion that there are good things in the world, whether it's food or technology or anything, and that they can serve us or we can use them as tools or we can even enjoy them. Yeah. But then there's this subtle shift where then we start serving them and they become idols and we... You know, we use the language of worship and, and our hearts are bent towards their purposes rather than us bending them towards our purposes. And um, it seems like that's kind of true for a number of things, but certainly technology as an idol is particularly powerful. Let me ask you about the data integrity issue you're working on, because it, you know, in common usage, people talk about Google as if Google is an entity. And even almost as if one of the things that fascinates me about our cultural references to Google is that Google is all-knowing. Google is omniscient. Like, And it's very interesting because that's one of the classical attributes of God, that God knows everything. But people, you know, you'll be sitting at dinner and you'll say, I wonder what the population of Uganda is. And somebody said, well, Google knows. Let's ask Google. But it's interesting because technically Google knows nothing, right? Google has no knowledge. And you're talking about your job is to integrate 
all of these other sources of knowledge or information, but also you have some responsibility for validating that. So Google isn't actually an, a store of information. It, it's an information gateway, which in some ways is like a bigger responsibility, right? Because you're aggregating and verifying and validating and you're controlling whether I get the right answer to my question. What's that like? I mean, that's, I mean, there's a, that's a big theological burden to carry the weight of truth, right? Yes, except <laughs> um, if you think about it um, on the flip side, yeah. we try to be very neutral sure. as well. Um, so it can't be just our burden alone, right? right? Um, and our mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Okay. But it's up to you to know what to do with the information. We're just organizing it in a way that you can access it and make sure that it's useful. Right. So we're not making necessarily judgment calls. Right. Right. And in some ways, like um, the data, it's kind of like what they say, the the information is only the the output is only as good as the input. Right. right? right. So it's kind of like the garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. Right. And so it's still up to the individual to know what is garbage. Uh-huh. Right. And really understand what they're seeing and have a sense of like, is this true or not? Right. And I think what we're trying to do is to give the power back to users. We just launched something called Entity Void. Um, I don't know what the actual external name for this is, but it's essentially trying to give the power back to the user to control the information that's represented about them. Right. Um, because you own your truth, right? Sure. And so you don't necessarily always want other people describing you if you know who you are, right? Right. So it's kind of like who's creating the data, right? And we're working with publishers and content providers to take that data. But our main purpose is to make sure that the data is in a way that can be um, taken by our search engine and then surfaced to the user. So it's slightly different than the way um, you described it. We're not necessarily making sure that it's all uh, We're making sure that there's accuracy in the fact that if you ask for the weather, we're not giving you sports. Right. Right. So that's one type of accuracy. But you're not validating meteorologists and giving exactly. me giving me the best meteorologist. That's right. And so I, I will make sure that when you ask for weather, it's going to be weather on a certain day, um, you know, a certain time. But, but then whether how, or not it's like, oh, rain or sun, we're relying on the experts to tell us that. information. But how do you decide? I mean, I ask Google, Google, tell me the weather. And there's 100 meteorologists out there. You've picked one. How do you decide? So it, it's some somewhat crowdsourced. So there's full uh, algorithms sure. on the back end to understand what are people going to as good news sources. Right. Right. So if there's one like the Weather Channel, like it's served up a lot, but there's weather.com. Sure. Right. So right. typically when we give a search results, there's multiple results that we show you. And then there's a ranking system and whatnot. But right. those ranking systems are actually determined by users as well. Right. So there's different, very complex algorithms, which I can't even fathom like, right. how they work. Um, but, you know, there is some element of trust that it's actually working. Yeah. Right? And servicing the thing that I'm actually looking for. Um, and it's based on years of um, kind of experience seeing the traffic patterns and right. what types of searches are actually getting click throughs. Right. Because uh, apparently, like if you actually think it's valid, good information, you will like click to learn more. Right. right. So that's one type of signal. More and more people do that. So you present it more often. That's right. That's right. 
So we try to be as objective as possible. Let's lift up your mic a little bit. So balance that idea. I mean, on the one hand, you're saying all Google does is organize information and provide access to it. But then you talked earlier about the whole trend of fake news. And it seems like people are pushing back a little bit and saying there's more of a responsibility to not deliver information that may even be popular but isn't true. What? How do you do that if your job isn't to validate truth? It's a, it's a good debate, right? Um, and this is not just with Google, but it's also like Facebook, yeah. all these other companies that serve up um, information, right? Right, And, you know, fake is sometimes depends on your perspective. Right. Right. So again, it's like somebody's truth may be somebody's lie. And, you know, so I mean, this is like the court systems, right? Right. It's like, wow, there's always like multiple perspectives. Um, So who is to judge? Uh Right. And I don't have a good answer. It's like an ongoing debate right now. Um, But there should be some responsibility. Right. Right. But how do you do it in a way that is trying to maintain that neutrality? I mean, we have a perspective of what is true. Right. Right. And so that's why we have debates even over the issues around Christianity. Sure. And it seems like as a Christian, Christians have a particular value for truth. I mean, Jesus said, I am the truth. We we believe in truth and we believe that truth itself is somehow powerful. But then we're also not, or at least in, you know, in our best forms, we're not so audacious to say that we're going to force the truth upon you. And certainly maybe we've erred that way in the past, but, but it's not our responsibility to, to completely limit access so that you only have access to one thing. But, but we kind of believe, I think as Christians, that the truth is powerful enough that it will, it will surface, you know, like Martin Luther said, the truth doesn't need to be defended. It needs to be set free. And so how, as a Christian, you want truth out there, but then you're not, I don't know. There seems to be there's some tension there. There can be some tension there. I can see that. Um, but interestingly enough, like I think technology has the power to give people like all the truths in some ways, right? It's like, here's all the information. All but the, information. the tricky part is how do you discern what will be true for you? Hmm. And that's where I have to believe that God's hand is in it. Right. Like if it's true that, you know, God does not need defending the truth will right. eventually come out. Right. Right. Then I think the work of God is to help us sift through what is the truth. Yeah. Um, and if we come to the wrong conclusion, hopefully he can correct that. He can redeem everything. Right. Um, but then there's the part that we have to play. Right. right. And like trying to seek out earnestly what that truth is and to mm. be open minded mm-hmm. about it. Um, you know, I became a Christian in college, right? And I was like, whoa, like the exposure to Christianity was fairly, I mean, I had some when I was growing up, right. but then in college, it was like all this information now started to bombard me. And this was the days before even the technology was available, right? right? I'm like, college itself was eye-opening, yeah, right? And I can just imagine like kids today or people who are trying to find information and truth on the internet, Right. As long as it's out there, there's no harm. And then it's more of the how do we help then people narrow down the truths. Right. And that's not something that technology can solve for. I think right. like you cannot have technology solve people problems. I've said this many times. Yeah. Um, so I think fundamentally like finding truth is fundamentally a 
people okay. problem, not necessarily a technology problem. Yeah, so the picture that I mean, I like that image is of technology surfaces and provides access and reveals information out there, but then there's some there's some other mechanism that identifies truth. And as Christians, we would say that, like I said, that, that's God's hand. God's hand, you know, we believe we have this confidence in God's goodness and God's provision and God's intervention so that if all, if kind of, if everything is shined light upon, God will ensure that the truth is revealed. Yeah, and hopefully that creates a better understanding of other people from other parts of the world. Mm, how so? Because um, like if there's people have their own versions of truths and different religions like Buddhism and Muslims and right. you know so it's like how do you have Christians really understand like the other belief systems? Yeah. And I'm hoping like because the technology is helping us to be more connected uh-huh. that that helps us to understand like everyone else's perspective because it, to me, God created everything. Right. Right. Yeah. And so God created people with all of these other truths too. So how do we start to engage in that? Yeah. Right. And to come to like a single truth together. Right. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, I first pages of the Bible, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And throughout the Bible, light is frequently used as a metaphor for revealing truth for showing what is and i think that that's actually a uniquely christian confidence that god's responsible for showing what's true that that the light reveals what is and that god kind of works within that to surface the yeah. truth ultimately that's the goal but it's so messy it is messy it's so messy <laughs> along the way right right and people get hurt when untruth is exposed and angry, perhaps reasonably so. Um, hmm. um, let me ask just, you know, you have two boys who are growing up in this world that that is changing and you're contributing to the changes towards. So what's it like as a mom seeing your boys access to technology and working for Google and how, how how do those things connect with and with your Christian faith as well? What's what's that like? Yeah, it's hard to navigate because yeah. on the one hand, like I do believe technology can be a tool. Right? There's some great educational apps out there. Um, yeah, and there's like good, very good learning apps on YouTube as well, right? Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I do worry because I see what they gravitate towards right. are more of the entertainment type of consumption of technology right right and so i think as a parent it's my job to make sure to set boundaries mm-hmm. help them understand how to navigate the technology right um but yes giving them some access because it is fun and entertaining and sometimes yes like i get tired and it's right. like they're pestering me <laughs> sure to watch their favorite youtube videos um it's like okay fine right yeah um and it gives me time to like get the errands done and clean the house or whatever. Right. Yes, you can watch this after you clean the bathroom or whatever. Um, can be a great motivator. It, yeah, right? exactly. Screen time exactly. is a great reward now. But you also have to know that each kid, hmm. right? Because my two boys are very different in the way they use technology. Right. One loves the educational apps, but the other one will gravitate towards just the watching. Sure. Right. And so if you can see who's more prone 
Um, you know, it's like some kids are more prone to suggestion or some kids are more prone to like TV commercials and ads. You right. know, I think growing up, it's like if, if you watch an ad for McDonald's and all of a sudden it's like you're asking your parents to take you to McDonald's all the time. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so you just have to know like where they're able to draw boundaries on their own when you actually need to intervene. Yeah. Um, I f- feel like God does that with us sometimes. Right. Uh-huh. It's like he only gives us enough burden to stretch us right yeah. but um you know he not gonna harm us you know by giving us too much that we can't bear it right so that's right. our jobs you know in my mind as parents it's like you don't just give freedom mm. because they don't have the capacity the mental capacity to know where they can draw boundaries yet right what about this distinction you drew of be, being a creator versus a consumer are there how do we you know, whether it's, we talk about underrepresented communities, but our own children, how do we protect them from the incredible draw to just consume and just be mastered by our technology versus giving them the dignity and the value and the power and the creative potential to use technology as a tool? Have you found things that help that as a, uh, a as a mom? Um, it's interesting. We had lots of debates about this, you know, in my previous um, role. It depends on the age, mm. right? So when they're young, um, just in terms of brain development and what they need to experience, um, the creation actually is more physical. Okay, right. Right, so no devices at all Yeah. in that kind of creation. Um, and as they get a little bit older and become more exposed to t- different types of technology, right, then you need to guide them to activities right. that then they can see that they're actually creating things or being able to have control. So right. like in elementary school, there's a lot of discussions around exposure to coding, right? Like yeah. um, there's Hour of Code, right, every right. December, right? Yep. And so that's supposed to help get them a little bit of exposure, but that's actually not true creating. Right. Um, it's more about manipulating commands, you sure. know, to control certain things on the computer. True creation is when you can actually think of that idea and create your own game yeah. for others to play. Right. Right. Because in, in some ways the hour code is still a little bit of consuming because yeah. it's like a game that only you get the benefit from because right. you did it. And the boundaries are so tight. That's right. You just don't have as much flexibility. But then when you're truly creating, you're creating things that other people can now enjoy too. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and then there's the excitement and pride of sharing it with other people too. So that's, there's progressions on how you help kids do that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, there's two questions I like to ask everybody I talk with. Um, the first is just, whether it's for yourself or professionally or your children, what what are you most excited about thinking forward with technology for what technology can offer the world? What what excites you the most? I think what excites me the most, and maybe I've drunk the Kool-Aid, is the power of this machine learning and artificial intelligence to yeah. like really enhance our abilities to do more. Um, you know, it's like, you know, what it can do for disabled people. Sure. Right. It's like, wow, if you are, you know, like I mentioned about being able to speak, but not being able to move. Right. Or vice versa. What if you can move but can't speak? Uh And I think a lot of the technology can help us with that. Um, And then with artificial intelligence. Right. Can it help us solve problems faster? Can it help solve fundamental problems of like um, dementia and, and, um, you know, other health problems? Can it help us learn better, right? right? So we talk about the broken education system quite a bit, 
right? So what's the role of technology to help us, um, you know, learn, right? right? Um, more about ourselves. So tailor that to individual that's right. students. And, 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 we, and it's not about replacing people. We right. can never replace people, but it's about freeing us to do other things that can be more thoughtful and, you know, uses our abilities more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's my abilities best suited to doing something rote all the time, or is it actually like creating something? Yeah. So then the companion question is what do you, what frightens you the most or concerns you the most about how technology could hurt us or hurt our culture or society? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about like with any tool, it can be used to glorify God or uh, do evil, right? Yeah. Um, I think that flip side of like the doing evil is, you know, actually um, making it so that people are more isolated. Right. Relationships could get hurt. Right. And so I think a lot about the people aspect of things. Um, How would that happen? What's the path to that? There's so many paths to that, yeah. right? So, like, an example would be, like, you become addicted to your device and you don't talk to people. Like, it could happen as innocuously as around the dinner table. Right. Right? To actually people becoming recluse and then getting into their own echo chambers. Sure. Right? And not realizing that, you know, there's different perspectives out there. Um, so, those are just, like, two examples. I mean, yeah. the worst case situation is that, you know, like you know, weaponizing technology and things like that sure. where you can like literally, you know, create mass destruction. I right. think that's like the worst case scenario, but even on a smaller scale, mm-hmm. you know, what is it doing to the fabric of families and yeah. community and things like that? Yeah. Good thoughts. Anything else on your mind you want to bring up or? I mean, I just, um, want to think a little bit about the context of PVC and maybe hear sure. your thoughts too about like, yeah. What can we as Peninsula Bible Church, how do we use technology best? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things I'm really interested in and part of why we're having this conversations is why is that I think that people like you are making decisions in your workplaces and driving some of the vast cultural change that our technology is responsible for. And it's really hard to answer the question sometimes, what does my faith have to do with that? So, you know, I'm a coder for Google Maps and I make sure that people get to their destinations on time, but I'm a Christian and I believe in God and I believe in the themes of redemption and forgiveness and and community. So how does that change the way I code Google Maps? And that's a hard question, I think, but I I suspect or maybe I, I hope that there is an answer to that. And so like when you ask, um, what does it mean for PBC to use technology? I think of that less in terms of like us as an organization. And certainly there are things as an organization we could do, you know, we need to have a decent website. We should have a presence on social media so people can find us. We kind of need to be in the public sphere, whatever the public sphere is of the day so that we are a presence. But when I think of PBC using technology, I think of the people And how do we, as members of the kingdom of God, exert some type of influence for kingdom purposes, for, you know, believing in truth and personal connection and redemption and forgiveness and all those things that that drive our story. How do we both use the technology, whether it's in our families, around the dinner table, 
in ways that, that are in line with those themes. But then for people like yourself that work in the technology field, how do we influence the culture in, a, in such a way that God's purposes are furthered? Because what we believe about God is that he wants people to experience the richness of life, that God has this vision of humanity that is beautiful and rich and full and technology can get us closer to that or can get us farther away. So, but like I said, those are hard questions. Like what is it, you know, you as a Christian in your role, how is that different? And certainly it sounds like some of, you know, your beliefs about God and faith come into play, but, but maybe they're more subtle ways. I don't know. Any any more thoughts on that? Like what, how your faith drives your work? And I think, for the majority of us probably like we're not always thinking about like connecting our work like when you said like hey if you're coding google maps like do i code it differently because i'm a christian right maybe not because there's like a particular problem you're trying to solve sure and so you're just going to code it the way you think is best for that user right um it's kind of like you know as a christian do i walk down the street differently or sure. whatever right, right? Um, so maybe not to that level, um, but it's kind of like the microphone, uh-huh. right? Like right now we're using it in a very specific purpose to right. try to get a message across, Yeah. right? But I can use this microphone in a whole other variety of ways that's not connected to my faith at all, right? right? right. And so I think it's more about when you are in the moment wanting to be deliberate right. about conveying a message or using it for kingdom work, like how do you use it at that moment? Um, it, that's in my mind how I think about it. And then the other times where I'm using this microphone for fun or, sure. you know, I could sing into the microphone or whatever. Um, maybe that's not as, uh, conscious. It yeah. may be subconsciously or unconsciously. I'm thinking about it because that's your identity, Yeah, but it's not necessarily in the activity itself. But then there's a tension, it. right? Because yeah. you, like you pointed out, you can use tools in a variety of ways, but you can also design tools that lend themselves towards certain uses and not others. And that's the subtle thing like I, that I'm curious about. As we're designing technology, as you're designing Google search, are there forks in the road where you can design it in such a way that, not that determines how it's used. I mean, I could use this microphone to pound a nail if I wanted to, but it's not designed for that and it's not optimal for that. So are there ways to design technology that are more geared towards redemptive purposes? I think so. I think that also is dependent on the company's vision. Yeah. Right. And why it's there. Right. Um, Because like a for-profit company without a, you know, like a Christian specific vision. Sure. uh, May not have that in mind. Right. Right. And as employees, Right. Right. We may not be able to influence the entire organization's sure. goals, but we can do so in our own little spheres. Yeah. Right. But most of my day to day decision making is actually around the people mm. rather than the design of the actual product. How you inter- you mean the people ex- that you work exactly, with? Exactly. Exactly. Whereas on the flip side, like a app like Abide, um, I think several Christians use this app. Right. Like that organization's main purpose is to create an app technology to help people through prayer. Right. Yeah. Right. So that you have full control over. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's also understanding what you have control over, what you don't. 
in terms of the design and, and how do you make the technology, you know, the way that would shape um, others to, you know, have a path towards God or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your that's question. That's a great distinction. Yeah, that's helpful. Well, good. Thanks, Mo. Yeah. Thank you for listening to allthingsnew.tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.